This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. This is Baseball Outside the Box with Peter Caliendo. Innovative thoughts from baseball's best coaching minds from around the world. Brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Now your host, former USA Baseball National Team coach, Peter Caliendo. Good afternoon, good evening, welcome anywhere you are in the U.S. or around the world. This is Pete Caliendo. I am your host, and we're ready to start Baseball Outside the Box, the show that loves to interview interesting people, and we have a great person that we're going to interview today. Before we start, don't forget, go to Baseball Outside the Box for, uh, actually, BaseballOutsideTheBox.com for the audio. Thank you, ESPN Honolulu, also for the audio, and we are on Facebook Live. Twitter and YouTube. So check us out there. If you're on Facebook Live and you have a question during our guests talking, we will take that in the comments section. Let us know and we'll give, we'll take all the questions we can get. All right, let's uh, bring in our guest. Believe it or not, Nancy Finley. This is the, the think about it. Her dad was one of the guys that worked with the Oakland A's. Um, she's going to tell you more about it. She's the daughter oh, of Carl Finley. And yeah. also, mm-hmm. and one of the partners of the team, and yeah. and obviously you know well known Charlie Finley. Um, we're going to talk about Charlie also. So let's not even waste any time. We'll get right to the questions. Let's welcome Nancy Finley. How you doing, Nancy? Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you for having me. No, thank you. This is interesting because you know I grew up uh, a baseball fan was a little kid, and I saw you know Oakland. Obviously, I saw a lot of teams and. Um, we're going to get into your background a little bit, but before we do it, kind of let the audience know a little bit about you. So I'm going to rapid fire some questions at you and uh, and then give us some answers. And we'll start with the interview right after that, because I think it'll be a lot of fun. People get to know you a lot better that way. Um, the, the most important question, obviously, is, you know, where'd you grow up? Dallas, Kansas City, Overland Park, and then Oakland, California. Awesome. And uh, what was, as, as a kid, favorite sport, baseball? Or do you have another favorite sport before that? I actually liked riding horses and playing ping pong. Oh, yeah. I love ping pong. That's it. And if you do it right, it's a pretty good workout, too. People don't think so. Oh, I know. It is. Uh, I, I'm about, really good at it, everyone. I'm great at it. Is that what you did as a young kid, young girl? Yeah. You rode horses and played ping pong a lot? Yes, I rode horses where we boarded our mascot, the mule, Charlie O. Awesome, man. We're going to talk about Charlie O. Um, how about a how about a country that you you know you like to visit you haven't been to? Iceland or New Zealand? Yeah, great spots. I've been to both. Those are awesome places. Really? Yes, yes. Been very lucky. Been to fifty countries. Uh, just fortunate. Uh, what about you know f- favorite major league player of all time? Could be anybody. Could be with the A's or anywhere. Jim Catfish Hunter. I'm again. We're going to talk about Jim Catfish because you're. you're uh, is it your uncle? Would we call him um, Charlie O? Yes. Now, does anyone know Jim Hunter's middle name? I only went Jim Hunter Catfish. No. Well, his birth That's his name. Yes. Yes. His birth na- middle name is Augustus, which was my father's middle name. Oh wow! And. Not a and I, I was reading, I, you know, I, I didn't want to jump ahead, but I was reading that your uncle, Charlie O, he actually 
um, paid the players $300 or gave them a bonus if they would get that great mustache. It's 72. And that's not easy to get going. No, I could imagine. I had a tough, tough time with a regular mustache. <laughs> how, right. about, how about um, your uncle, the A's? What was his team that he wanted to beat all the time, no matter what? Even if it wasn't a playoff team, just somebody wanted to beat. Well, the Yankees, of course. Yeah. The Yankees. I, I, remember, I just remember hearing that. Yankee this, Yankee that. But the players turned out to be most of my father's good friends. Well, I could imagine. He's, he was in the game a long time. How about uh, in school? What did, you, what did you like in school? Geography and politics. Oh, you got into the politics. Still into the politics now? No, not no. But um, I follow it. I, at least I know what's going on. But uh, my husband, by the way, is Ukrainian. Oh, you know what? And a special, I always do this before the show, special uh, heart warm to all the people, prayers to all the people in Ukraine. I've been there five times. I've got a lot really? of friends, a lot of friends in the baseball industry in Ukraine. We helped build the field there. Um, you know, there are a lot of things we're doing. So I'm always online with them. Thank goodness. So far, oh. I can still keep in touch with them on WhatsApp and Messenger on Facebook. So prayers to everybody in Ukraine. Let them know about the A's. Yes. Oh. Yes. Your husband was he born there? I'm sorry. Was he born in Ukraine? No, his mother. His his mother uh, or her father were. They went. They immigrated to Canada. He was born in Canada. And what what uh, did have you guys get a chance to go there at all? No, no, have not. His yeah. uh, he was at his brother was president of Rotary for one year. It only lasts one year. And at that time, his brother invited Russia and the Ukraine to join because that's right after uh, the wall went down. And yes. so Mikhail Gorbachev was with them for dinner. Yeah, and you want to mention, I always mention to my audience, you know, the special prayers also to the Russian people because there's a lot of Russian people that family in Ukraine, vice versa. You know, so I this know. doesn't affect just Ukraine. Obviously, it affects Ukraine the most with all the damage and the, and the lives that have been lost, um, but we do have Russian people also that get affected by this. So, well, let's yeah. do this. Let's start off with, you know, I, I think the, the best way to start this whole thing off, because it's going to be very interesting, um, and simply, what was it like? You, 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 your uh, dad was a partner, right? What oh, was yes. it? What was it like growing up in a baseball family? Oh, my goodness. Well, I, I was thinking back on Kansas City, and it was like, a Disneyland inside that stadium. I loved it. But I know I don't really remember how we went inside. I know we were driven. And then next thing I know, we're inside the stadium. Now, former President Harry Truman sat about two seats from us. He had season tickets. Wasn't Truman the most, uh, was he the one that was the most, had been the most games of any president? That I, I don't have to check that record, but he was there all the time. Apparently, I sat on his lap, played with his tie because my mom would be talking with other mothers. But Truman actually paid attention to me. So that was oh. I, I don't know what that was like, but um, he was very nice, very nice. And always at the games, a very good, very loyal fan. Now, you growing up, you know, you became a baseball fan out 
I, I, I was, I was born one. I think I was, I think that became, I think that came before my childhood. Yeah. I was at, I, I was at the stadium with the measles in quarantine when the Beatles uh, came through and played for the first time, first U.S. tour. They were there and my mom, who's a nurse, was with me in a front office in quarantine, but I could hear. And I knew that the crowd sounded different. Females screaming. It wasn't like I usually heard, but I was halfway out of it. Yeah, and I was I was reading because I was reading. First of all, we're going to talk about your book in a little bit, but I was also reading uh, your article online, and that mentioned that in '64, Charlie Finley paid the Beatles one hundred fifty thousand dollars to perform there. Um, yes. What, but what was it like? Because you now are working as a young girl in the front office on promotions and advertising, so you learned the business yeah. from the ground up. That was Oakland. Yes. I was too small in Kansas City, but in Oakland, I wrote my first press release at age 14. Wow. Well, I, it was, someone needed to do it at that time. And I remember the mistake I made, I didn't put a date on it. So you do these things, you learn sometimes from embarrassment. And then I, I, it was nothing to me. I was really good at it. And it also sounds like the, I think your dad, your dad ran the front office pretty much, right? He ran the operations. Oh, yes. He would go to the ticket office, walk all the way down to minor leagues, uh, controller. Oh, yeah. Um, the Monty Moore had a desk next to my dad's, but Monty was only in. He came in about four o'clock when the team was in town. Then he would go upstairs to do the show. What was oh, the difference? I well, you know, Charlie Finley obviously was a visionary um, and, you know, and we're going to talk about some of those things that, you know, one of them was like I just talked about was the Beatles. I mean, he did a lot of things that people are doing nowadays. But what was the difference between your dad and him? Dad was the constant dad. Dad, by the way, was a high school principal in Dallas, Texas, when Charlie asked him to join him. Oh, wow. So, yes. And, and dad had gone to law school, but he wanted to go into education, into being a superintendent of the state. So he was back at the high school. He'd just been promoted when Charlie made that offer. Dad was 37 and it took him six months to decide, but every weekend there would be tickets, wait, round trip tickets for dad, all paid for to fly to Kansas City and watch Charlie, watch how it's done. And dad, Charlie went out of his way to impress dad, but it still took six months. I heard from one of his high school students who told me dad never gave a reason for leaving. Knowing dad, he probably thought he would need to come back in a year or two. How would he know they would be in a playoff nine years later? Yeah, and three World Series, right? I mean, 19. Yeah, yes, neither one had a background in baseball. Right. Neither one played the game at all. No. Well, I heard Charlie played a local game where he lived, but no, they really they were not professional sports players. Dad was um, in business management. He was academic. Charlie did not have a degree, but he started his own insurance company. Mm -hmm. So that's where they were when uh, Charlie had the money. He bought the team and dad was uh very good running the office charlie wanted dad to review everything for him contracts 
be there to uh, bounce something off of you of should I do this, should I not? Charlie did his own thing anyway. But when he, Charlie wanted to go to all white shoes in Oakland, he brought the prototype pair of shoes to a restaurant to show dad. Interesting. And obviously, obviously he trusted him. I mean, he was like an advisor to him. Yeah, dad could also predict what Charlie would say. Uh, and I didn't even realize that till I was a teenager. And I remember dad told me once I shouldn't wear jeans out to dinner. I said, well, jeans are in now. They're fashion. Charlie gets in the car at the airport. He says, oh, I used to wear those to milk the cows. I mean, dad knew um, he could predict what Charlie would say. You know, they also had to convince them because Charlie owned two teams, a hockey and a basketball team. He owned, you're right. He three. A's, they had to convince to sell it, right? You're right. And uh, dad was not happy because Charlie didn't really consult with dad. And Charlie expected dad to do the same with those teams. I and, did and want to, he did want him to sell. That's right. Well, dad quit. He quit to... And because Charlie did not understand, dad was serious. So dad quit and wrote a book actually in a very short amount of time. And Charlie needed him back because the front office was falling apart. And I never saw the book again, but dad was given a $9,000 advance by Life Magazine. And this was 1971. Oh, wow. It was yeah. before, yeah, the wins. You know, Charlie Finley, you know, obviously a very interesting person. You were around him a great deal. Tell us about him. What was he like? Why was he special? Why, you know, his thinking was different. How, how, where did he get that? Well, when I was little, he would say, come to Uncle Charlie. And it would sort of intimidate me as a little girl. But when uh, I remember in the 70s, actually, after his divorce, we became friends. He invited, he started inviting me out with the adults when he came to town. And um, he was very not uh, sincere and he liked to brainstorm and no one was allowed to say something was stupid. So that's, oh, that's good. That, yeah, that causes you to open up and say anything. And he once liked something I said so much, he made me a VP when I was 16. Wow. It, you know, and I like that because, you know, that's how you get a lot of great information if you let people open up their minds and, you know, and not yeah. worry about, is it a bad idea? If I'm in a meeting and I think someone, you know, has that attitude and might say that, I clam up. So that you know, is true. And, and, you know, I would have loved to interview them simply because our show is called Baseball Outside the Box because we're thinking outside the box all the time and how to make coaches better. But in general, you yeah. know, to think outside the box, not always kind of do the traditional things that have always been done. Anybody can do that. Just follow what someone's doing. But the outside the box stuff is what Charlie was famous for. Oh my God, that was my role model. Dad and Charlie were my role models. But I, so I guess I sort of lived that way. But one thing I didn't hear that I would hear some friends' mothers say is, you don't do that. Or you just, we don't do that. I never heard that kind of talk from dad and Charlie. And I, I, that was refreshing. I never understood why the mothers said that. But once when I was at the Coliseum, I was bored. So I called a classmate on a weekend. And I remember the mother said, uh, asked where I was. I told her and there was silence. I, she, she didn't quite understand why I would call if I was at a Coliseum. 
to her, I should be having fun and having a party or something. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, as I think about it in the article, you know, there were some things obviously that were written about Charlie um, and you kind of pushed back on some of these items. I was reading, you know, um, cause he had some, I guess some confrontations with, you know, with some writers at times. One was yes. with the city star, I believe. What were some of the oh things they were pushing that back? More, that was more than a confrontation. That, that was, he, he did, he found out when he bought the team, he found that payments had been going out to that writer, a substantial monthly payments. And he didn't want to continue it. So he had, he asked some people what he should do. Uh, he decided to cut it off, but at the same time, he fired his first general manager, who was a friend of that reporter. So everything came to a head, but then Charlie also divulged in a newspaper article about the payments. So after that, the um, local newspaper started saying we wanted to move, which was not true, not true. So that was something that was started to try to get the fans angry. Yeah, and I noticed even now though, you know, Oakland's trying to get a new stadium or either move, they still haven't really resolved that at all. That, that part though is really going on, but with us, the the rumor started that we wanted to move and we didn't we didn't what charlie would do that would hurt him though is when he found out the chiefs were paying one dollar a year for their lease he would say well i should move if kansas city doesn't give me the the same respect that kind of thing played into it but um but yeah the newspaper kept saying we wanted to move at one point i thought I think they said we didn't like our fans. We didn't like season ticket holders. It was wow. just nonstop. Well, I think that was going on. Why was those rumors going on? What were they trying to accomplish? They were. They wanted us out. Well, when Charlie refused to continue those payments to the newspaper, they wanted us out, and they got us out. We didn't choose to move at that time. Dad wanted to move to Dallas when they had a stadium ready if we need still needed to dad had a lot of friends in kansas city he never intended to to move at that time but they raised the lease amount on us so much that dad said they had to go they didn't think they would be leaving until after that meeting do you remember how they got to oakland how that all worked out that was because when they went to this council meeting in 67 they learned that their lease was being raised to mm -hmm. over a million a year then all of a sudden they dad and charlie thought okay we've got to get out of here we'll go into debt if we stay here the only place that said it had a ready to move in coliseum was oakland and oakland had been calling a lot dad said it was sort of tiring how often they called they called it was like a solicitor sort of and they kept saying remember we're here because they would read these articles and think we wanted to move the dad said he called them and they said the Coliseum was in a turnkey. Uh, like when you walk in, you don't have to do a thing. It's ready. And what they left out was the front office isn't complete, but it, it is standing. It's ready. So that's why dad said it was one of the hardest things he's ever done is organize a front a major league baseball move. Yeah, I could imagine. What was that first year in Oakland like? 
Well, it was relief because they, we didn't, well, I wasn't living in Oakland yet, but I remember what dad said, not having the media the way they were was a relief. I mean, sure, the media in Oakland had heard rumors from Kansas City, but they were willing to give us a chance. So that was a relief. We had Joe DiMaggio. It was just a new location. And then Reggie and Vida started to come out and do well. So it was it was good. Dad was dad actually brought Rick Mundy with him to help get the word out. They attended breakfast meetings and talked about the A's. So it was just a lot of trying to figure still figure things out. It it enough things weren't complete in the first year. And then dad asked Oakland when the front office would be finished and they kept promising. And it, it was never finished. In fact, Charlie spent $500,000 of his own money right after buying Kansas City to renovate that stadium he didn't own. So because of what happened in Kansas City, he was not about to put his own money out to do the Oakland office. Sure, and when you're talking about Louis, you pretty much, he pretty much lost the 500000 once they left. He did. he did. So because Oakland said they were ready to move into, Dad said that's what they expected. And they took Oakland on at its word that it would finish the front office. The truth is, it was not finished until the team was sold. And the Haas family came in and spent quite a bit of money to finish it. But that Oakland should have done that. Nancy, one of the first things he did was he changed the uniform colors, green, gold, and white. What was that yeah, like? What, what was the reaction? Well, I loved it because that's when I was really young. Everything was, I mean, the renovation of the Coliseum was painted different colors, fluorescent, this and that. We had white sheep dyed different colors grazing on the field. We had a man dressed in a striped colored robe holding a staff. Yeah. Some, parents, some people asked me if my parents gave me cough syrup when I was little because it sounds so outrageous. But we had a petting zoo with caged monkeys and peacocks roaming. It was amazing. I remember fireworks after every home run. I would be sure to pluck, hold my ears. Uh, we had the rabbit coming up out of the ground, Harvey, with flashing red lights. That yep. scared some visiting players. Um, what was it that was, the rabbit? What was that the rabbit for the baseballs for the home plate yeah. umpire? Right, the automatic yeah. rabbit came out of the ground. Yes, Harvey, Harvey. Someone, yes, there's a collector shop in a small suburb of Kansas City that asked my permission to do Harvey on their front window. So ah. Harvey's, yeah, yeah, there are a lot of memories for Harvey. And then the governor of Missouri gave us a mule, but it was meant for our petting zoo. But then Charlie thought, why not have it as a mascot? Because we had the elephant on our stationery until then. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. So then they had the mule, and then I read something about orange-colored baseballs. What was that for? That was in the 70s. In a way, I consider orange sort of like our side color because of that. We had um, what those those cones on the road, the type of orange. Mm -hmm. those are. Yep. We wanted baseballs with that color, and to me, that sort of seems right. Now, have you heard of synesthesia? No. Okay, when my daughter was about 10, she told me one day she was real bothered about seeing colors and stuff. So 
I Googled it. I found a doctor and, and she was diagnosed with synesthesia. Every time she saw a color like green would be number two. Mm -hmm. White would be one. So the doctor said it's a genetic phenomenon. He said there's probably someone in your family or maybe a generation back who has it. I was trying to figure out who. And I'm looking around, I see the green baseball bat, the orange baseball, and all of a sudden it hit me. That's what Charlie had. He had all the characteristics. And my daughter likes to ask me what colors he did for certain things. And she'll say, yeah, I get that. It, it, but I think that Charlie saw that when he was watching the games and that that phenomenon might have helped him decide who should play what i know it sounds a little odd but there there's something to it there's people with that are supposed to be very creative think differently well, speak, and speaking about creativity he was definitely creative i mean he he, he advanced things a lot for he understood that there was a game going on but there needed to be entertainment around that game to keep the fans yeah. going the whole time all girls yeah we have yeah, and then MC Hammer. Well, Hammer was was Stanley Burrell. He was there as Dad's runner because I couldn't go in locker rooms. So Hammer was a real big help to Dad. He would sit next to Dad, and um, I remember it just seemed it was all the people who came out from from being with us ended up famous. We had a lot of Miss Americas. You ask about a sport when I was little, Dad would say let's watch the miss america pageant and we would bet a penny on what state would win and i remember the women in my family were never enthusiastic about it it wasn't until i got older i understood sure. what what it was about but dad and charlie loved the miss americas they were always at our world series party after parties so i well, well you know and, and i would think in those days I think times have changed, but in those days, I mean, there were a lot of men that were watching the game, probably more than women, you know, so that, so having cheerleaders there kept you a little bit more entertaining. I mean, just the common fact. That's what the ball girls were. And I noticed we never hired anyone through a newspaper ad. It was always through referrals or office workers. One of the ball girls was a sister to our switchboard operator. And when <laughs> she came in to visit, Dad called Charlie and said, you've got to see how this one looks. And so they thought that roll up and they asked her if she had a friend in high school who could be number two. That's how it happened. Yeah, I'm not sure all that would have worked out in today's society. We'd have been in trouble a little bit there. The oh, media would have, they would have been on that right away. How about Hot Pants Day? Everyone yeah. was in Hot Pants. Yeah, that wouldn't happen nowadays. Where did Charlie, where did Charlie hang out during games? Where was he most of the time? Most of the time, he was up in his suite. So he, he had no problem watching the game, right? No. In fact, uh, I sat with everyone at the World Series behind the dugout. Usually, I wasn't allowed down there. Dad was very aware of foul balls and what someone's face could look like after being hit. So Dad figured I could sit down there with the family. They would watch me. And I would, I was a nervous wreck during games. I would look over at Charlie and he was just intense. I don't know how he could stay so calm. And that's why I asked, because you look at 
uh, Billy Bean, you know, the GM of the of the A's nowadays. I mean, you watch Moneyball, and a lot of times he'd go to the weight room. He couldn't watch it. Well, he couldn't watch it. I know. I I don't know how Charlie had the strength to do that. I mean, just focus. He was now, intense. I also said that he called down. He would sometimes interfere with the game, wouldn't he? Well, I don't know if you call it interfere. One time, I someone told me that the manager made a decision to do a b and c and i thought well why would you let a manager make that decision if you know it's contrary to what the outcome could be so in my mind that's what i was around that's what i experienced is that you step in and you say what you think it should be even if your manager might not agree to me i was raised with that would so he I don't call see- down there he would call in a dugout you know oh yeah he would go down there I don't see that as interference if it's a team you own, it's your money, sure. and you see something is not right, or you have another idea. If, you're, if your idea fails, then it's on you. So I don't see why someone would be upset. If I was a manager, I'd say, okay, sure. You know, it's, it's, I mean, I never understood that. Yeah, no, and I asked that because, you know, fans would not know that that goes on. Those are kind of like behind the scenes. No fan would under know that, hey, there's an owner that's actually going to call down there. Um, he had a phone yeah, with him. What's that? Oh, he always had his phone at the dugout, but I, I thought other owners had the same thing. Or he had a phone up in the press box, too. Sure, and they usually down into the dugout. What about managers? He Okay, he kind of butted head with. Did he butt head with you know butt heads with some of the managers? Any particular? Yeah, uh, he did. I re- I remember though hearing about the when he fired Alvin Dark the first time in '67. It went so smooth, and I found out that Dad Charlie had reserved a room that night for him and Dad to stay in because apparently they knew Dark was having an affair and they stayed up all night with a glass to the wall. So, but that was when they fired Dark, but it was um, a very night like, we're sorry, we have to do this. And that was the same day Dark predicted that our guys would be in the 71 playoffs. So we brought him back for 70, 75. 74, 75, because he knew the team really well. You're going in and out. Should I click this box so I can hear more? Does it say do that? Let me see. No. Oh, it was going in and out. Yeah, no. It, it could be the internet also sometimes because of weather. Um, uh, they had obviously a lot of Hall of Famers like Jack and Rob Fingers, Cafe Hunter, a lot of great players. You mentioned Kingfish Hunter being your favorite player um, mm-hmm. or person. Why why was that? He was very just overall a good person, polite. Um, never act and he acted like the type who never had to have the last word. Um, modest. Gosh, uh, see I he was what I call my guys. When I was real little, I looked uh, up to the, to him and Sal Bando, Dick Green, Campy. Those were my guys uh, that I left in Kansas City. And I expected to see them back. 
um, it was like my family. So, and, and I was at, when they found out about his diagnosis, the diagnosis, there was a private gathering before the press conference. I was there and there wasn't a dry eye. Our players uh, loved each other like a family. Hmm. And, you know, and that's, you know, and again, I think that's why you, you they, they were so successful because you see a lot of teams that, you know, that's that chemistry people are talking about all the time, right? That makes winners. Yes. Yes. You have, you need to, you need to keep a majority of your players to create that family. Now we had to trade. I remember the free agency. I heard all about that. And Charlie was up against a clock apparently because of that. And then the commissioner blocked it. And I'm thinking, how many trades you hear about that go? I mean, that are allowed. I didn't want those guys to be traded. I didn't want that at all. But apparently, because of free agency, it had to be. Now, Charlie had another proposal for a free agency. But that was turned down. Mm, you know, and then obviously the game's changed, boy. You see, now, now you're always trying to figure out where players are at because they're on different teams all the time. At times, it really changed. Mm -hmm. I know. Are they able to, to really keep players? That's what I wonder is what are the teams who have kept the majority of their players? Yeah. You see somebody like Houston, you know, they've done a pretty good job of it. You know, they're top players and it's not easy. Even being in Chicago, you know, the Cubs, they won the world series in 2016, you know, uh, four, three, four years later, they had to unload a lot of players because the salaries can get too expensive after a while because they had a lot of good players. Yeah, I know. I know Houston did a good job forming that club. I mean, really, they came back. I was very impressed. I know. Uh, it's like, I know how to. I know how to make a team a winning team, but it's not hard. Um, it's just I don't understand why some people do. Why some why some managers do what they do with teams. Well, I think uh, that's what's fun about the game in some ways. That's what keeps us interested, right? We're always trying to. Yeah figure out why, you know, what teams are trying to do, what managers are trying to do. And it, I want to tell them what to do. Yeah. <laughs> well, I do have, you know, I've had Jim Lefebvre on the show. He was a former uh, Seattle manager. Also, um, uh, you know, here with the Cubs, good friend of mine, you know, in the old days, he used to tell me the stories that owners would call down in the clubhouse remember, and actually say to them, why did you bat that guy? Or why did you do that? You know I mean? So it's, it's well. not that it wasn't, that didn't happen. It did happen. But they should have said something before it happened. See, this is what Charlie did. Not out, not second guessing, but yeah. try to do Good it. Point. You know, try to stop it. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Now, and I also read, was it true that Charlie called uh, Bowie Kuhn a village idiot? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Why? Kuhn tried to make his life, which meant our life, hell i mean excuse me but really it just seemed like it was a personal vendetta on coon's part and now there is a review of coon's bio that appeared in a chicago newspaper 1987 by jerome holtzman mm -hmm. and i and he said that he said in coon's coon's bio it seems obsessed about charlie and it that answered it i mean we always charlie never thought about coon he never talked about him all the time unless he was on the defense but Coon seemed obsessed about Charlie's looks the way he talked uh he looked down at him just because um and so 
I remember it just seemed like Kuhn was constantly on us for something. He didn't want us to um, make any profit. And and then in my book, I have a whole chapter on Kuhn in part two. Oh, good, good. I'm looking forward to reading that. Matter of fact, now, did he not like also maybe all the promotions he did? Because maybe he oh, thought he, he didn't was... like that at all. Oh, he didn't like that at all. I think he, he had names for them. Oh, we were, he thought Finley was just the dregs of the earth. I mean, he did not like it, but it was in a snooty way. Which, mm. I mean, obviously, you, you don't do that to someone but coon could coon i think coon abused his power he would use the excuse that it was for the good of baseball but that was for because it was for his good wow he abused, i think he abused his power and if anyone disagrees with me they should call you <laughs> yes and uh well here's what they should do and we're going to put it on our show notes the book, the Finley Ball, right? How two outsiders turned the Oakland A's into a dynasty and changed the game forever. That's a great book. So that's a good lead-in because there's a chapter there with uh, Bowie on Bowie Kuhn. Well, in my in part two, there is my my Bowie Kuhn chapter didn't have room to go in this book, but I have a whole chapter devoted to Kuhn. I talk about free agency. I just explain what it is. Also, the DH was our idea. Kuhn was against it. Whenever Kuhn was against something, he, he could sway most of the owners to vote against it. But we didn't mean for it to continue. I see how both leagues are for it now. And I'm thinking, you don't have to be, guys. You can just stop it. Um, who knew how popular that would be? Well, again futuristic. I mean, he had that vision because I'm a big DH fan. Um, I, I don't want to see pitchers hit. I'm tired of seeing pitchers hit. I want to mm -hmm. see hitters hit. And I think there's a, you're, you're seeing it right now, a great benefit in major league baseball because more players are, are signing and staying in the game because they can DH now, right? There's 15 Thank more you. teams. And I don't see it. Yeah. I don't see it attributed to us when I see all the talk about it. I'm thinking, well, why isn't anyone saying Finley's idea? Because I remember the champagne popping when it went through. It was um, January 1st, 73. But, I mean, I remember a lot of fighting to get that in. And I don't hear... Other, yeah, but, but, but you know, people don't like to always give credit where credit's due. Um, it's unfortunate. But if you look at the things Charlie did and the team did off the field, you know, within the fans and all that, now all of a sudden you're seeing a lot of those things going on now. And, and Major League Baseball is even trying to figure out how do we entertain the fan more, right? Oh, I, oh my gosh. Oh, well, I hear that this year they're going to allow ads on uniforms. Yeah, that you would have thought baseball would have never done that. Well, they're also allowing gambling too, sponsors for gambling. Oh, that, that's, you know, that's, that is an addiction. That is in the same category as other addictions. I don't get that. I really don't. Um, but yeah, when we changed our color, when we brought colors to the uniform, how was, I mean, I, I can't imagine why people aren't more up in arms over ads being on uniforms. Yeah. How about, uh, what else did Charlie do? Because, you know, I only saw a few things there. Uh, My games. Yeah. That, his idea? Yes. I see Coon take credit for a lot of that. I said, what was that? 
that was uh, I did. the night games for World Series because he said there are working people and kids who should be able to watch. Now, when I read about Kuhn, like his bio, most of what I read was our idea. I'm looking for something that is original Kuhn. That was his idea. I'm not seeing it. Anyway, okay, I'll stop bashing you. No, 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 but people can read the book, the other book when it comes out. But so fine, yeah. let's finish it off with the book. Um, tell us anything else about the book. Why should people buy this book? Well, I give the re, I tell the story about how we started in the 60s. We were going really great. And uh, Charlie was referred to as one of the most beloved owners in baseball in a June 1961 Sports Illustrated article. Who would think it? He went from that to the negative press after August 1961. And then the negative press just continued because Charlie stopped the payments to the press. Right. Yeah, but then he got the A's and uh, three World Series and a lot of Hall of Famers and some great players. Yes, it's like after we moved to Oakland, I, there was more freedom. There wasn't the heaviness of the bad press. That's, I mean, some of the writers were told, you know, he's not good. But, but I think writers kept an open mind. And then, yes, we started winning, which is why Charlie bought a hockey team. He thought, dad said he thought we had the Midas touch, but dad reminded Charlie, we got in this for baseball. We need to stay focused. So you know, Charlie, yeah. As you work for the A's when you were there, um, when you saw certain trades, were there any trades that you said, wow, why did we do that? Yes, well, Rick Monday, I, I really, like I got close to him and I know dad was not happy about that. And then, um, but some, I really didn't get close to the players we traded. Interesting. I know that um, dad was the type who liked to stay in one place. The agreement with Charlie was wherever the team moved, dad would live there. That's a reason I tell people that when you hear about almost moving to Atlanta or Seattle, it wasn't going to happen unless dad agreed to live there. It was all just bluffing. All right, Nancy, last question. This has been great. Um, well, how, how do you want people to remember your dad and Charlie Finley? Well, as building a dynasty, they built with no background, no experience, Within nine years, they built a winning team. A dynasty, according to the Hall of Fame, is three consecutive wins. We had that with the World Series, which is very tough. Then after free agency, we rebuilt the team starting in 77, which led to the 1981 playoffs. For, unfortunately, we had sold the team. I think that surprised us. But that shows how quick we could rebuild. It's just amazing. I, I was I watched Dad do some of the scouting in the late seventies, which Ricky Henderson was one, and um, rebuilding the team. It, exactly the way Dad and Charlie talked about. It happened. You know what? And you couldn't have ended the show better than that. And I'll tell you why. 
baseball has got to be one of the toughest sports, not only to repeat in, but when you're talking about three world championships in a row, that is yes. simply amazing. And I know you should never say it's never going to happen again, but I, I'd be very suspect that that ever happens again in baseball. It needs to be done right. I mean, that's the thing. I, they need to take advice from, well, look at the history. Um, it, it is. It's very difficult to do, especially now with all the playoffs they have to go through. But don't just read a manual. It, uh, I see that. I see some people just go strictly by the manual. Think outside the box. Absolutely. And, and uh, Nancy, how do they get the book? How do people get Amazon. the book? The Amazon. book. Amazon. I, my website is oaklandathleticshistory.com. Oaklandathleticshistory.com. All right. We will, yeah. put, we will put that on our show notes. And Nancy, can't thank you enough. It's great meeting you. Thank you. I have great meeting you too. Thank you. All right, folks. That is Nancy Finley. Thank you to Nancy. Thank you to Brian Crocker, our producer with the Lineup Media Group. Thanks to everybody in the U.S. and around the world for joining us. Keep you know, spreading the word, spread the show. Baseballsidethebox.com is the audio. Remember, um, also ESPN Honolulu. Thank you for hosting the show. And of course, everybody on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Uh, if you share the show, we just keep getting better and better. Um, you know, more audience. And that really helps us get the show out. So thanks, folks. Remember, stay healthy, stay safe. God bless you all. And we'll see you on the next show. This has been Baseball Outside the Box with Peter Caliendo. Listen online at BaseballOutsideTheBox.com and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and all major podcast outlets. Join the conversation on Facebook and Twitter. Get all of our podcasts now at LineUpMedia.fm. This podcast was a presentation of LineUpMedia.fm.